Yet another movie that makes me terrified to take a shower. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many of them. There are just so many. Why do things always happen in the shower? I mean, I know why our eyes are closed and we're in a vulnerable state. Yes. Etc. But damn. Ay. Damn. Just trying to shower in peace and I got to worry about someone being behind me. Someone coming in. Nasty. Well, you know what I mean. I don't want to get killed. Oh, no, I was thinking something completely different. Anyway. (laughs) Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Psycho? You mean the 1960 Alfred Hitchcock hit Psycho? That's the one. Yes. Again, the movie that made me afraid to take a shower, or one of them. It was the grudge for me. Well, yeah, that one doesn't help. babes here to bring the queens of scream to you this month yep that's our theme in case you missed it on instagram this and twitter and all of those things this week <laughs> scream queens so our second film in this series is psycho yeah like i mean when i think of a scream queen i basically think of two people right off the bat mm-hmm. and it's And it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. And her mother, Janet Lee. It's so good. Whenever that that factoid has come up so many times, and every single time I hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's I just always like, forget, and I always am obsessed with it. Right? It's just such an interesting thing that, like, 20 years apart, yeah. they both played such iconic roles. It's it's fantastic. And you guys know which shower scene we're talking about. It's, like, the most famous horror scene ever yeah i mean Um, it's one of the top rated shots of all time it's pretty wicked so we're gonna go with our normal format here we're gonna talk about who made this thing who was in the cast and crew we're gonna do some shout outs and then we're gonna do a rundown of the plot and then we will discuss and analyze this film further all right so topher take us away with who made this thing well you already mentioned one of them actually we both mentioned one of them but up top this is directed by master of horror and suspense alfred hitchcock the alfred hitchcock yes yep i've heard of him <laughs> <laughs> the screenplay was written by joseph stefano uh but it was based on an, a series of novels by robert block yes i think there's four in that series we have anthony perkins as Norman Bates, probably the most, another just super iconic character. Mm-hmm. I mean, you show someone a photo of him and you're like, oh yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vera Miles as Lila Crane. John Gavin as Sam Loomis. Janet Lee as Marion Crane. Martin Balsam as Detective Milton Arbogast. And that's pretty much it. Um, there's some other people in here, but basically this is the like, yeah, that's the core cast. It's pretty totally. pretty tight it- cast. Yeah, and this was a pretty uh, low-budget 
film. It yeah. was out of Hitchcock's pocket. Yeah, he, literally. Yeah, he he self funded this. It was about eight hundred grand. Yeah, and reading an an interview, it was meant to be kind of like. It was meant to look like a cheap exploitation film, which is why right. he didn't want to accept a bigger budget. He wanted to do it all out of pocket, even though he was, you know, a name at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had have a done, long career. Yeah, could have done whatever the fuck he wanted, really. He said that this is for the filmmakers. Like, this movie is for the filmmakers. Yes. So, yeah, that's just also an interesting fact about that. Definitely. I mean... I've seen a lot of Hitchcock's films. I was I was raised on them. Mm-hmm. Like this is Hitchcock is was my introduction to horror. Yeah, my grandfather is a huge fan of his. As is my mother. I mean, we all know he's a, a ripe piece of shit, right? As a person, but he is one of those filmmakers that is just undeniably so creative. When yeah. I think of daring shots and interesting things that people did, I think of Hitchcock. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because watching it last night, it even though I know that it's from 1960, yeah, I'm still thinking. And and often when I watch these older films, especially something like horror that has really developed, yeah, over you know the past couple decades, I I'm already like, okay, this is an older film. You have to watch it with the context of the time. Mm-hmm. But with this one, the shots are still interesting in the context of today. Yeah. I mean... Like, you can see that, uh, like, Wes Craven has certainly taken yeah. from... Taken some inspiration from Hitchcock, and the list goes on, I mean, really. Carpenter, but, think of that follow shot yeah. in Halloween. That comes from this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're jumping so, in a little early on the on the filmography sh- or the uh, cinematography shit, but I, I just can't say enough about how good it is. So oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get back into that later. We definitely, we definitely will. It just, it just came up. So yeah. No. 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 It, I'm try- not trying to interrupt flow. Shit. Yeah. I had to. I had to jump in because yeah. Even yeah. even in the context of today, I think these shots are super interesting. Yeah. It's. I'm never not stunned by his filmmaking. I'll I'll talk a lo- like just his daring in shot choice yeah that's that's definitely your domain that i am going to obviously allow you to get into <laughs> Absolutely. later yeah no i've got a lot to Sink say your teeth in. last couple credits that i'm going to mention the music was from bernard herman uh or bernard herman i'm not sure how he likes that pronunciation but he's dead now so it doesn't matter and the music was also really well done in this oh my god from the jump i i yeah. turned to you and i was like okay so score yeah thumbs up yep. like Incredible. John L. Russell was the DP, mm-hmm. and George Tomasini did the editing. Cool. All important people in this film because it's just Hitchcock ran a really tight ship. Yeah, he's known for that. It's part of why he's a bastard because he's a hor- like he just did a lot of horrible things. Yeah, because of his like iron fist. Mm-hmm. But fuck, man. Yeah. The the final product of this, super solid. Yeah, something about it works. Yeah. So. Do you want to take us into plot? Yeah, let's do it. So, plot. Plot. It's lunchtime. Everyone's not at work. And we're viewing an entanglement. A nooner, if you will. (laughs) Yes, a nooner. A tryst, if we must. (laughs) Um, They're in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. There's a title card that says that. Um, They're at a hotel. And uh, we meet Marion Crane. Marion Crane. Marion Crane. What a beautiful name. It is a nice name. It's very lovely. She's a real estate secretary, um, and then her an entanglement beau, uh, Sam Loomis. Terrible are, name. 
not Sam a pretty Moon. name. I know. We, it's that's a big <clears throat> contrast, isn't it? Um, so they they're talking about how they can't afford to get married. Um, Sam is in debt. And can't really even pay, like, alimony to... He's divorced, technically. Right. But basically cannot marry Marion. Like, that's... And and Marion is, you know, not happy about that. She's like, I can't keep meeting you. Right. I can't keep meeting you at lunch. I can't keep, you know, going to these hotel rooms. Like, she's just fed up, which I get it. Yeah. He's never going to leave his wife. I mean, he did. But, like, he's never... He's he's not. He doesn't have enough money. He's not serious. You he's know. Not, I feel like the money thing is 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 a cop out. I think so too. Because like. Because men are good at those. Yeah. Um, lots of excuses. And I'm gonna look assume. at Janet Lee. She's gorgeous. Why wouldn't you want to marry that? The girl is always gorgeous in these scenarios. Come yeah. on. Like it's always the man being the fucking fool. Yep. Like come on. Fucking quarterback looking dude. Yeah, and she's gorgeous. So anyway. After lunch, Marion, you know, goes back to work, and then this creep, who's a client apparently, yeah. drops a $40,000 cash payment on um, a property that he's, yeah. you know, purchasing. And Marion's boss is like, Marion, can you go deposit this uh, money into the bank? And says, you can, you can, she, she fakes a headache, pretty much, and mm-hmm. he, like, lets her leave. So once she's home, she's like, I'm going to steal this money. <laughs> I have $40,000 now and I don't give a fuck. And I'm going to drive to my lover's house in California and yes, live my hot girl summer life with $40,000. Oh this reminds me of that lady astronaut who had like the diapers and like kid, would she kidnap her, the person she wanted to be with his girlfriend or something like that? That sounds insane. I don't know anything about that. She drove from Texas that. to Florida. I don't know anything about that, but I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a link. Okay, cool. So when she's on her way to California, Marion stops and uh, falls asleep in her car. Um, just takes a little road nap. And then uh, she, a highway patrol officer, this motherfucker. Yeah, he's a creep too. Yeah, like wakes, wakes her up and she's just like, uh... I'm I'm just trying to get to California and he's like asking her all these fucking questions and is like, Can I see your license? And she's like pulling the money out of her purse. She like kind of angles her body away from right. him, like pulling all this shit. And he is all up in her pussy. He's just like looking in and I'm like, bro, back the fuck up. I'm already like I'm I'm already like, God damn it, you got stopped by a cop. Like that sucks. A cab. Yeah. And like and I was just like, Oh fuck. But, I mean, she is a pretty white lady, so I'm sure, it, you know, it would be fine. Um, but, like, I, I still was just like, oh, back up. He's just Seriously. being, like, so creepy. Like, his head is almost in, like, the crook of her neck. Right. Like, yeah, when he, he's, like, in the window. And I'm just like, It's back. another great shot, though, the way it's angled and everything. Yeah, no, it definitely is, which is probably why I had such a visceral reaction to it. Mm-hmm. I was like, back the fuck up. You're breathing down my fucking neck. Like anyway. a vampire movie. Yeah. So I mean, anyway, I think I, I think that just really was awful for her. <laughs> like, ugh, yeah. I don't know. I can't get over it. Anyway, hundred percent. But I will try. So she's like, she's like, am I am I acting like anything's wrong? And he's like, well, frankly, yes. And she's like, 
can I go? Like, why are yeah, you? Yeah, he's like giving her shit about having Arizona license plates. Yeah, and and she's just like, why am I still here? Are you giving me a ticket because that would be a unwarranted? But like, b if you're not, can I fucking go? Yeah, she's like, why are you still keeping me? I also have forty thousand dollars in my purse <laughs> that I stole. Oh, I should note this like really anxiety-inducing scene where like she stopped at a light and her boss crosses yeah. the crosswalk and she's like, oh my fucking god and he sees her and she's and then the music starts and it's like bana bana it's like straight up like jaws like yeah. we said that 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 um that music was kind of inspired by this movie so yeah. it, it's it's straight up jaws it's just like suspense galore. I mean, john williams is a very artful thief <laughs> <laughs> very artful thief so anyway Marion gets a little creeped out by that <laughs> i wonder why um and is like she's a little uh paranoid so she goes and gets a a car okay so marion stops at like a dealership trades in her car which her car as you said he was making fun of her for arizona license plates so she trades in her car for california license plates like just completely trades in um and the officer fucking like pulls into the dealership and you're like bro leave leave her her alone." alone and she and she just like drives away yeah. Um. So then we're in a really, really bad rainstorm. Like I'm not. T- it's not cute. No. It's like, she can't see. It's middle she, of the night. It's middle of the night. She can't see. She is in danger of swerving into the next lane for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. And so she conveniently stops for the night at the Bates Motel. <laughs> um. And very uh. Very smart of her because she hides the stolen money inside like a newspaper. Like she wraps it right. up and puts it on. Super clever. Yeah, I thought it was. So Norman Norman Bates and his m- mother owns the hotel, mm-hmm. and it's and it's failing. Like Marion is the only one there. Yeah, other the only guest there. I will say. Yeah, because they um, moved the highway. Yeah, yeah, and and so it's been you know not great since then. So, she meets Norman, Norman Bates, and Norman invites her over for dinner for sandwiches and milk. Ew. So gross. I, it's, I'd be like, politely decline. No, thank you. What a you. Like, late 50s, early 60s sort of dinner. People who can drink a full glass of milk just by itself scare me. Terrifying. They're terrifying people. Mm-hmm. I bet they look you right in the eye as they do it. Ew. You know what I mean? Yeah. Horrifying. Ugh. Anyway, so Marion overhears an argument between Norman and his mother about bringing her into their home over for dinner. Yeah. And which is like this very campy looking like fucking haunted house, which is what Alfred Hitchcock intended. Right. Like it was built in the in the back of the studio. Mm-hmm. Like on, on a lot. Yeah. So it was like meant to look like Adam's family can't be like all of that. For sure. So. Vincent Price has definitely been inside that house, you know? For sure. So because of that argument, um, instead they eat in the in the parlor, in the, in the motel. Yeah. So he kind of opens up about his mother and Marion is trying to tell him like, well, you should you should just leave. Like if yeah. this place isn't doing well, why are you still here? Just sell it and bounce. And he kind of he kind of tells this whole story of like wonderful performance. Um, Anthony Perkins is is a vision in this of just like charming but 
there's something off. Yeah, you know, there he's there are very moments. Boyish. Yes, yes, yes. Very boyish, which is awesome that it plays into like the um, mama's boy thing. Yeah. But then there are moments that are very sinister. That but then they're glossed over by him going back into that boyish charm. Right. It's kind of interesting. It's a um, really cool two note performance. Yeah, and 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 he does it so subtly that you. If you're not looking for it, you won't see it, but you'll know it's you'll there. You'll feel it. You'll yeah. feel it, yeah. So, That's what we call sublime acting, y'all. Yeah, he's wonderful um, in this. And so he kind of says all of these things like, she's my mother. I can't, like, I, I, I love her, but I hate what she's become right. and all these things. But I am tied to her. Like, all of the, you know, all of these she things. She needs me. And Marion is ultimately moved by Norman's story. Yeah. And is inspired to drive back to Phoenix and give the money back. And she decides, you know, she'll take a shower, she'll rest for the night, and then get up and drive back to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. But while she's in the shower, this is what we were talking about, this famous shower scene that I think even people who have not seen the movie have seen this scene. A shadowy figure stabs her to death. Yep. In a fascinatingly shot scene. Uh, which I will definitely get into later. So after seeing blood, Norman panics and runs to Marion's room where he discovers her body, cleans up the crime scene, and puts <laughs> Marion's corpse and um, unclear whether he knows that the money is in the newspaper or not. I don't think he does. He just grabs the newspaper. He grabs it and puts it into the trunk of her car and sinks it into like the swamp. Mm-hmm. Near the motel, which I have a question. Yes. What is a swamp? Is this like a philosophical question? No, I, like I'm serious. I don't, un- I've heard of swamps. I've never seen a swamp. So I don't understand what it is. Is it just mud? Well, no, swamps are where Shreks live. I Okay, I know that. <laughs> no, like, that's the I've definition. I've seen the movie, but like, what is the biology of a swamp? A lake is water. What is a swamp? <laughs> a swamp's more like um, where there's like a lot of undergrowth and like groundwater is there. And then like. Why is it so goopy? Because like of the mud and the specific types of mud that grow in swamps. Because it's like all tree roots underneath, right? Okay. So like. There's like moss? Like all kinds of shit. I don't know. It's like It's like lake but gross and shallow. Okay. Okay, so muddy. it's it's shallow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But like super muddy, so like things get sucked into the mud. Okay, got it. I think that's that's the best explanation. I can get I've for just a swamp. been going through life for almost thirty years now, being like, yeah, swamps, pretending like I know. It's <laughs> such an that, interesting fact to learn about you. What that is, just you know, being like, uh huh, yeah, mm, I know. You've yep. seen Shrek. You've watched Avatar. The swamps are featured heavily in those. But like nobody explains what they are. It's just a swamp. It. It's just a murder. Like, what, what, I want to know more. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand, but, um, thank you. I, th- I think I understand them more. You know what? I'll look it up on Wikipedia because it's linked. I want the Merriam-Webster <laughs> definition of a swamp. Okay. A swamp is a forested wetland. Oh my God. What does that mean? <laughs> They are considered transition zones because both land and water play a role in creating the environment. 
Okay. Apparently they're different than marshes. Oh my god. The plot thickens. I don't know what a marsh is. There are specific types of wetlands that form along water bodies containing rich hydric soils. Marshes are wetlands continually or frequently flooded by nearby running bodies of water that are dominated by emergent soft-stemmed vegetation and herbaceous plants. Swamps are wetlands consisting of saturated soils or standing water and are dominated by water-tolerant woody vegetation such as shrubs, bushes, and trees. Okay, this sounds like something that I need to work on by myself. I think so, yeah. I think this is a personal moment, (laughs) and we're going to get a bad review. This is great content. If we keep talking about swamps. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sure everyone else out there knows what a swamp is. It's just me. Um, Anyway. We already got one bad review that says weird political rants, and the next one's going to be... Weird swamp rants. Weird swamp rants. (laughs) Oh, God. Welcome to our podcast, Weird Swamp Rants, where we have weird rants about swamps. I'd listen. Anyway. Because you don't know what a swamp is and you want to learn. Because I don't know. (laughs) Okay, God. We probably shouldn't spend more than five minutes talking about swamps. Jesus Christ. Okay, so back to the plot. Uh, Where I left off is... Okay, the car's in the swamp. And... So a week later, Marion's sister, Lila, is like, where the fuck is my sister? I haven't heard from her in a, <laughs> a week. A fucking week. A week. So she confronts Sam um, and is like, "Is like, yo, you're like her lover. Where is she? You're number one suspect. Yeah. Bro. Um, so with his fine ass, number one suspect. You and I completely split on who's attractive in this movie. Oh, my God. The lover, for sure, even though he's an asshole. Nah, Norman. Uh, Anthony Perkins is hot, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. He's too skinny for me. I like him. Anyway, so P.I. Milton Arbogast um, is like, yo, your sister stole $40,000 and we're looking for her. And um, Lila's like, I'm looking for her, too. But <laughs> but damn, she stole $40,000. I didn't know she was capable of that. And so, you know, Arbogast does his PI work and is like, well, she stayed a night at the Bates Motel. So let's go there. Duh. And so <laughs> he questions Norman. Um, and Norman kind of sucks at this because yeah. he's like stammering and, and 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 doesn't really have consistent answers here. Like it, it's just it's it's spooky, right? It's, it's suspicious. So, um, and he won't let Arbogast speak with his mother. Mm-hmm. Also suspicious, and so the PI goes back to Sam and Lila and is like, uh, it's, it's not looking great, but I'll, I'll, I'll call you soon. Yeah. And so then he goes to like the Bates's home, like right. spooky Adams family castle and looks for Norman's mother at the top of the stairs. A shadowy figure comes up and stabs a bitch. Mm-hmm. He's dead. He's fucking dead. Um, and then Lila and Sam don't hear from the PI. And so Sam's like, I'm going to go to the motel again. Duh. Yeah. And and then Sam sees a figure in the house and is like, that's Mrs. Bates, like assumes. But she doesn't really do anything. Like it ignores him, ignores his presence. Right. And then Lila and Sam go to the sheriff and is like, is like Mrs. Bates died in a like a murder suicide ten years ago. Like mm-hmm. there is no Mrs. Bates any longer. And um 
the sheriff is like, oh, yeah, that crazy P.I. probably just, like, lied to you so that he could pursue Marion and that money. Right. So they're convinced that, you know, Arbogast is just gone, like, mm-hmm. dead or something. So they go to the motel. And Norman carries his mother from her room and hides her in the fruit cellar. Oh, okay, okay, what's a fruit cellar? I know what a wine cellar is, but what is a fruit cellar? Same thing, but for fruit. Why do you need to keep your fruit in a cellar? Because it, it stores better. It's cold down there. But didn't refrigerators exist? Kind of, but not really. Crispers? Like the nope. drawers? Nope. No. People were just keeping fruit in their basement in the 60s? I mean, for a long time, yeah. There are so many things I just don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm broken. Okay, anyway. I'm I'm pretty sure Fruit Cellar just does what it says on the tin. But, uh, whatever. Okay. (sighs) So we're at the motel. Sam and Lila, there's some, like, sexual tension between Sam and Lila. Like, for sure. Like, you can cut it with a knife. Any, but anyway, they've kind of, you know, they're a team now. They're mm-hmm. a team. Yeah. Um, so Sam distracts Norman um, by, like, asking him questions and trying to, like, engage him in some sort of conversation. Yeah. And Lila sneaks inside the house. And then Norman is gets, like, agitated as tall, skinny white dudes do and just, like, assaults Sam. Like, because that's cool. And Lila hides in the cellar and finds none other than Mrs. Bates. But Mrs. Bates is a mummified corpse. Mm-hmm. So bro. cute. Bro. Looking She's like, good for her age. Looking like the... Yeah, actually. Looking like a <laughs> shrunken head. Um, and then Lila screams. Uh, yeah. Um, Duh. Would too. Yep. Um, Norman... Norman um, wearing his mother's clothes and wig... Runs to the cellar with a chef's knife and Sam manages to subdue him. And this is where like the big reveal is like the wig falls off in a dramatic sense. And you see that it's literally just Norman dressed in a muumuu and a wig. Yep. um, With a knife. And it's the same like this. This is the silhouette we've seen every time kill people. Yes, correct. So we kind of flash forward probably to like the next day or the next couple days, and we're in court. Um, a psychiatrist explains um, that Norman murdered Mrs. Bates and her lover 10 years ago out of jealousy. Mm-hmm. And with that came a lot of guilt. So he stole... Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I would assume. Um, he stole her corpse and began to treat it as if she were still alive. And he recreated his mother in his own mind, kind of as his alternate personality. Yeah, he has so split he's now. got yeah he's got split like a split personality situation. And this mother personality has kind of taken on these jealous and possessive traits. And whenever Norman feels attracted to a woman, quote unquote, mother kills her. Mm-hmm. As mother, Norman killed two young girls before killing Marion and the PI. And um, then we we hear while while Norman is sitting in a jail cell, we get a really awesome like sinister face from 
from him. And we hear mothers like voiceover protest that the murders were Norman's doing, not hers. So it's yeah. like the, the split personalities are kind of talking to each other at this point. And then we see Marion's car towed from the swamp, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then that's the end of the movie. Yeah. I was surprised that it didn't go transphobic. Yeah, it really could have. And I mean, I'm obviously glad it did not. Yeah, I mean, they, they go out of their way to say, like, one of the characters says something that's like kind of a transphobic question. Yes. And the psychiatrist is like, no, no, no. Like. They're not, uh, they're not trans. It's more of a, um, uh, it's more of a result of the split personality dressing right. as a woman. Um yeah, it's it's not about yeah. They they ask, oh, is he a? a this is going to be dated terminology. Definitely. But they ask, is he a transvestite? And the psychiatrist, like, no, uh, that's not what's going on. And like, doesn't decry, like, doesn't no. say anything negative about. Doesn't even put any color on it. It's just like, yeah. no. It is really just like no. But here are the facts. Exactly. Like and dismisses I, I a, it and yeah. then just gives us the fact. I appreciated that. Yeah. I mean, it it could have gone really wrong there. It truly could, especially in the 60s. I mean, yeah. transvestite is not a word that we use anymore. Um, I mean, it, it, there are certain people who identify as such. Yes, but it's it, it turned into kind of a negative term yeah, in, in, yeah. in like slang. So I think yeah. some people are offended by yeah, it. Yeah, I don't use it unless I've been told to use it, you know. Same. Um, I, like Eddie Azard, uh, the comedian, mm-hmm. identifies as a transvestite. Um. Yeah. But yeah, and the, the that's the sort of situations. I mean, I have friends who have also identified as such. Yeah, exactly. I've I've heard I've I've definitely heard both sides of that coin where some people are offended by it, so I just um steer clear of uh, it. 100%. But how how do we feel how do we feel about how this movie treats mental illness? Not great. Yeah. Um I mean, it, there are far worse ones. Definitely. And horror always has kind of demonized and used mental illness and kind of has given it a bad name in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't think that this helps. It's not the most egregious one, though. And that's yeah. sort of what I want to get at is that, like, I don't love that it's called Psycho. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, that itself is, like, just a, a really negative word. Agreed. Um, psychopathy is is different and varied and yada, yada, yada. And I don't think that Norman falls under psychopathy. No, um, because he it is... He is neurodivergent, sure. Yeah. But... Yeah. Because, um, like, a lot of things, it is a spectrum. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, yeah, neuro- neurodivergence is uh, it's a huge category, but, like... And I'm not, I am not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. And my brother uh, studied psychi- uh, psychology um, and they have informed me of a lot of things and I've studied a little bit of it, but like it, it's clear that like Norman has problems mm-hmm. and isn't treated as a bad person by the psychiatrist. That's what I like is that. That's one of my favorite characters, even though he's on screen for, what, uh, two minutes? Yeah. He treats Norman as a patient who needs help, not as an evil person. Like, he has this sort of, like, because he's so factual about everything, Mm -hmm. he's not 
judgmental of Norman. He's not That's saying, like, I, give him the death sentence. Right. He's saying that this yeah. is someone who needs help. Like, he's explaining what's going on. He's giving the facts or whatever. It's, you know, it's exposition. That's why the character's there. But the way it's played and the way it's written, he feels more caring. Does that make sense? No, I agree. It seems like he's um, just dealing dealing the facts and is saying, I mean, if anything, it kind of feels like we should be sympathetic towards this person and get them help. Yes, they murdered, you know, these people and that's not cool. Yeah. But also, like, we have to take mental health seriously. Right. And so not that, just write off people. Yeah. And so I think that that's where I th- that that's where I think that this movie has a better track record on mental illness than a lot of other horror films. It kind of redeems itself because yeah, the the title Psycho is not not chill. I don't right. I don't love that. But with with the end I I do think it redeems itself with with how it is somewhat being sympathetic towards that side of the court case. Yeah, and I it's one of those things where it's tough because the shot right after that is Anthony Perkins doing his best creepy face while his mother argues with him in his head. Yeah. So that's a little less clear. True. But I I still think that this movie lands on the good side of on the better side of of, of trying to treat mental illness as such. Yeah, there are definitely worse worse ones. Yeah, um, I mean, hell, we've covered a couple of them. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and we'll be covering some of them like um I'm reminded of we'll talk about this when we when we cover this this uh, this movie but uh Halloween with yeah, Mike Myers yeah. Michael Myers being treated as pure evil. Well, and it's it's really hard because a lot of what horror as a genre explores is the terrors that can be found in the human mind. Mhm. And often it it stems from mental illness or it stems from taking a crazy drug or it stems from some sort of chemical. It always stems from something chemical because that's how our brains work. Yeah. Right. And that's what horror really explores mm-hmm. is like the crevices of like the worst part of human nature. Yeah. And so I think it's really a difficult subject to talk about when you have a film that is called Psycho. Right. But yet redeems itself a little bit in that scene, but then the final scene is of our quote-unquote Psycho. Like, it switches yeah. protagonists through, like, the, the middle of the movie, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and having such a sinister look. It's almost like our discussion of, like, sleepaway camp. That's what like, I was thinking I, of, yeah. That's why I kind of struggle with it. Um, but that's also why we have these discussions, so is yeah. to kind of hash it out. But I don't know. I think if we... I think if we approach as, you know, um, horror content creators, I think if we approach um, these stories that deal with mental illness with the... under the umbrella of, like, they need they need care they need help right then like like yes let's explore maybe what they did because of their like split personality or like their trauma or whatever mm-hmm. like sure let's explore that because that's something that happens it it shouldn't be like censored but let's have this umbrella of let's get this person the help that they need let's not just throw them away as a person yeah you know absolutely 
Yeah, that's I, I like that way of putting it. Should we? What do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about cinematography or acting? Because holy shit, on both. Yeah, that those are definitely the two categories in this film that are like the best. Um, yeah, the story's a little boring in the middle, especially. I I get that it is a psychological thriller, and, and you're supposed to you know build the suspense and everything, but. And then, and the top and the bottom of the film make up for it in the end. Like it, like the payoff is worth it. But it yeah. absolutely is. Yeah, but you could have cut thirty yeah. minutes of this movie. Yeah, the cinematography and the acting, though, both stellar, stunning, stellar, stunning. Um, I feel like I've talked for way too long. So why don't you give us some cinematography praise? <laughs> absolutely. So one of the reasons I have so much respect for Hitchcock as a filmmaker, not as a person, again, true yeah. ripe bastard. Um, there's actually a really good episode or two from Robert Evans behind the bastards mm. on him. If you mm-hmm. ever want to go listen to those, it's a great podcast. It really is. It's one of my favorites. This week was really good too. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so what is so great about Hitchcock as a filmmaker? Like I said up top is it's daring. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever, I don't think there are a lot of directors who get a lot of praise these days for being daring directors. Mm hmm. Aronofsky is probably the only one who comes even close gotcha. to Hitchcock yeah. in terms of like creativity and just like, how did you even think of getting that shot? Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? And there's, there's a lot of independent filmmakers who are, who are in that way too. And then like, you know, Guillermo del Toro is in that category. Yeah. But when I look at Hitchcock's films, like um, one of my favorites of his is a sort of lesser known one. Um, the wrong man mm-hmm. with uh, Henry Fonda. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Incredible movie. One of my absolute favorites. So the premise is that uh, Henry Fonda is in is in jail for uh, a crime he did not commit, or did he? Mm-hmm. So there's. I'm thinking of this one shot that they have in there that I was so. I, I think I saw it when I was like 16 or 17 because I used to go get from blockbuster from blockbuster y'all. Uh, they yes, had the one dollar. Yeah. So oh I would God. bike over to. Uh, like Friday night, I would bike over to the Blockbuster, grab three Hitchcocks, basically or three like classics, because they had the one dollar classics section. How cute! I'm I'm picturing you in like baggy ripped jeans and a flannel, like on your bike, like like straight up like Stranger Things. That's how I'm picturing you right now. Your little vans, your like baby vans. It's not far off, honestly. Just, like riding your bike to Blockbuster to get some Hitchcock films. God, I'm a fucking nerd, babe. I I'm in love with you, and it's. but um i would just yeah i would just go rent a bunch of classic films so that's like how i would watch casablanca all the time and like i mean which is my favorite movie i know that's not supposed to be the case because this is a horror podcast and i'm a horror nerd but yeah casablanca is my favorite movie um (laughs) it's not all that you are no you're allowed to have other interests i'm a many faceted man contain multitudes oh if I have never hear that phrase again. <laughs> oh, I say it all the time. I know. I always say it as a joke, but ugh. So, yeah, I would I would go and grab these. And so there was this one shot that made me go back and rent The Wrong Man like five more times. Yeah. I watched it, I think, three times that weekend just because it was so compelling shot-wise. Mm-hmm. So there's this thing that, uh, there's a shot that happens that's really off-putting. Yeah. And it's spirals in on Fonda's face while he's in the cell. Nice. And I was like, how in the fuck did they even get that shot? Well, turns out 
Hitchcock built a like Ferris wheel type thing for the camera, but he had to mount it on a dolly so he could slowly zoom in. Oh, so it's a that's cool. It's a dolly. Uh, it's not a zoom. It's a dolly shot. Yeah, with a Ferris wheel on top, and it was like had to be hand operated. So this guy's pushing Hitchcock while he's moving the camera, and oh, it's wow. so cool. That's really, uh, and I feel like people have definitely um, taken that creativity into their own, because I've seen shots like that, similar to, not the same, but similar to that, and I feel like he's probably paved the way in that, in the creativity of getting the shot. Right. Well, and the frustrating thing is that, like, I I just don't see daring like that anymore. So, like, let's look at this uh, cinematography of this film. We don't need to talk a ton about others. Yeah. So, there's a Steadicam follow shot that's moving around and it's like this oneer that's at least a minute long, which mm-hmm. is a long oneer. Like that takes a lot of work. Yeah. Especially because the camera's moving while you're like, not, not only is it following, it's circling back and forth. Like I'm doing a motion with my hands, which you can't see because this is an audio medium and I'm an idiot. But basically <laughs> the camera keeps moving like 90 degrees slowly. Yes. On like a, like a, you know, a little uh, curve. Yeah. And it's so cool because it's a really like upsetting shot. Yeah. Because you're like, I don't know. I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm moving, and it's so it's so cool that like that's a that's a cool shot. No one would shoot that. Yeah. But he comes up with it. And then that under shot, like where yeah. you, it's great because it. Um, the one I'm talking about is you're you're getting a shot of Norman Bates, but the camera is clearly below mm-hmm. him and. It disorients you because you're kind of, I mean, you're like, what am I looking at? Because you're looking at like, you know, his face, but you're, it's, it's from like chin up. Yeah. Like it's, I would be pissed if someone tried to capture me in that way. Like that's (laughs) like how straight boys try to take photos of people. And I'm always just like, stop. Why are you down here? Get up there. So I don't have 20 chins. But anyway, (laughs) um, it's fascinating because I don't think that any many filmmakers would have thought of that like he's 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 brilliant like yeah because it it's such a tool for disorienting the audience and then you finally come into the whole shot and you see exactly what's going on yes but like at first you're like whoa like what it throws you off which is mm-hmm. exactly what i'm sure the intention was yeah and um obviously there's the the shower shot, which oh, has been talked about to death, but it is so fucking brilliant because like it Hitchcock uses color in a really cool way in black and white films. Wasn't the, wasn't the blood like chocolate syrup? Yeah. Tight. That's what I, yeah. Delicious. Exa- yeah. Um. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's because it brown reads better than red. Yes, that's, that's correct. Because uh, we used to do that all the time when I was shooting in college. Like mm-hmm. when we would shoot black and white, that's what we would use for blood too. Like I would, instead of doing the whole uh, cornstarch and syrup shit, I would just do. Yeah, which is fine for color, but if you're in black and white, then yeah. you need something darker. So, and so yeah, there's. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was just thinking there was another shot. I was just going to talk about the shower scene. Oh yeah. Briefly, just because we're on it. Yeah. So that scene is also interesting because. You never see knife to flesh. No. You never see any of that. Um, and what's hilarious is I this morning I read the original Times review of this movie. Okay. And there was a critic who said that it was nauseating and gruesome and like disgust, like all of these things. I love it. And that was like. 
That was, I mean, the whole reason he didn't, like, it's just so funny to think about that in, like, you know, 1960, this was yeah. what we're seeing on on screen is, would elicit those sorts of reviews. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's a sign of the times. It's kind yeah. of just like <laughs> the times, you know, the times <laughs> review. Um But yeah, he just was like, and it only gets worse from that. Like, I felt nauseated throughout the whole thing. The gore is disgusting. Like, he just was like ripping him apart for the gore. And I'm like, bro, it's a horror film. What were you thinking? Well, that's the thing is that we really hadn't done that. It was only B movies that had gore in them. That's true. Up until then. That's true. Hitchcock made it mainstream. Which is really dope. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, But yeah, that just was kind of like a throwback, like funny thing to me where I was like, oh, buddy <laughs> it gets worse yeah i mean this is all during Hayes code times too true which is wild um and even funnier people got pissed and the uh mpaa almost made him reshoot the shower scene yeah because there's a toilet flushing it's the first time a toilet ever flushed on screen oh you did say that last night that's yeah. funny um and then like, i'm thinking about we were talking about this the scene with the the highway patrol cop and the way it's shot uh, of of him and Marion, yeah, where it's shot just at a slight, like like a two to two degree, three degree angle thereabouts, uh-huh. up at her, and it makes that shot so much scarier because shooting up is like a power move, like it, it yeah, it, it, definitely it does things to our brains that like looking up at something makes them seem powerful. So because the stack of the shot is purse Marion imposing cop. It's probably why I had such a reaction to it. Or it I was is. like, I was like, back up, buddy. Yeah, and it also makes the shot feel tighter than it is. Yeah, like the actual depth of it would be much longer, but because of the way it's shot, it feels tighter. Yeah, which I love. Like that's yeah. just like cool it's nerdy film tool. shit. But that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Um. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on about this film, but I want to say the last one is the final shot. It is so beautiful and so rich yeah like the depth of field in it is fantastic it's so crisp and it's all of course lighting that does that Mm -hmm. um but the way that the light hits norman's face is bright and dark almost right down the middle but not so perfectly down the middle that you would uh yeah it's not like overtly split well but there's like a slash on it and it's so good yeah and we get a lot of um symbolism with him and mirrors yes if you if you watch it a second time because i don't think it's something that you know you have to be looking for it to find it but like there are tons of times where there is a mirror involved yeah with um norman and with marion he like Mm -hmm. you know he like has her in front of a mirror and all of these things like it's it's pretty cool they're they're He's hinting at the split thing yeah. throughout the whole film. It's funny. This is actually the second Perkins family film we've covered. Really? Mm-hmm. Because Anthony Perkins has a son, Oz Perkins, who oh. directed I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. Oh, shit. I did... God, I did not make that connection. That's yeah. cool. He was also Dorky David in Legally Blonde. Tight. I love that. <laughs> I love that for him. In his little shawl collar sweater. Mm-hmm. But yeah, speaking of Tony Perkins, acting. Acting. Uh, yeah. 
No, he's he's awesome. I mean, this is the whole cast is pretty strong here, actually. But yeah. um, I mean, Perkins is stellar. He's star. yeah, he's the shining star to me. I I can't think of like Janet Lee's good. Vera uh, Vera Miles is good. John Gavin is solid, and Martin Balsam is solid. But it really, really is Anthony Perkins' film. Yeah, yeah. 100%. This is one of the I'm not going to I'm not going to make the bold claim that it's like the first film to do this, but um it is definitely one that paved the way for switching the protagonist through the throughout the mm-hmm. um in the middle of the film where you think that you're going to be following um Janet Lee's character Marion yeah. throughout the whole thing and then <laughs> she dies. Yeah. So it becomes Norman Bates. You're following Norman Bates, right? Um, essentially, and through the other characters looking for the other protagonist number one, mm-hmm. y- the story lives on. So one cannot exist without the other, but they switch. Yeah, it's the story switches, which is really cool, and that is actually why Hitchcock tried to keep the twist a secret, mm-hmm. like. Bought as many copies of the books as he could. Um, <laughs> what a strange thing to spend your production budget on. I know. Wouldn't allow people to go into a theater late so that they wouldn't be looking for Janet Lee and be like, well, I guess she died. Y- you right. know, like that's a spoiler. Yeah. Um, especially back in the day. That's a spoiler. So he like he did everything he could to like prevent people. And it was one of those first, you know, you know, these days there we've even come up with like a rule like for TV, you get two days to watch it or something. Yeah, I might be wrong on the number. No, I think it's 48 hours for TV. Yeah, you get like 48 hours to watch it and then people can tweet about it or whatever. Yeah. And then for movies, you get like two weeks or something like something like to go see it in the theater. Um, And. We didn't have those rules back then, obviously, but we also didn't have like an easy way to get spoilers. You know, it was all word of mouth back then. It wasn't Twitter or whatever. Um, So, but like he literally like ran campaigns where he was like, don't tell people the twist. He was like, don't you fucking do it. You're going to ruin the movie for them. Like, don't do it. Where we have so many movies like that now, like namely Palm Springs. You need to go into that movie, um, the one on Hulu with yes. um, Andy Samberg and uh, Chris Emiliotti. You need to go into that movie not knowing what's going on, and it's going to be a really fun ride. Yeah. And the less you know about it, the better. The better. And that's kind of how this movie is. The less you know about it, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's become a classic, and everyone knows the twist now, and people still watch it, probably for, you know, nostalgia's sake and it's and it's still fun it's still a fun movie so i don't know i think that that kind of that's kind of cool that it's a landmark for spoilers sort of like how there was you know he was basically saying like don't fucking do it don't tell people what happens don't ruin this for them Mm -hmm. um so that is that's kind of cool to me um i also i i Aside from kind of like the shitty situation that Marion finds herself in, she has a hell of a lot of agency. Absolutely. She's doing exactly what she wants. She's not controlled by anyone. It sucks that like we as audience members, just because of how men are, we know that he's not going to marry her or, you know, he's a fuck boy. Yeah. Like don't, you know, he's like meeting her in like, you know, hotel rooms at lunch and stuff. Like it's just kind of like classic fuck boy um, behavior. So we know that he's not going to commit to her, but like she takes she takes that money and is like, I don't like my life right now. I'm going to go change it. It is kind of yeah. 
My only qualm with it is that the driving force is to go be with him. Yeah, I mean, her motivation is a man. Is a man, but... I don't know. She's like doing shit herself. Mm-hmm. She isn't helpless at all. No. She is very just like, I'm stealing this money. Like, it's kind of badass. I'm like, and and she's like, she's like, so that uh, this guy doesn't get too suspicious, I'm going to go trade in my car. Like, she's doing. She's clever, yeah. She's clever. She's doing everything herself. Her motivation is a man, which kind of sucks. But I don't know. I I I do like this character. I like that she is not helpless at all. She's just trying to get what she wants. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Um Lila's the same way too. Like and Lila's yeah. motivation is to find her sister or at least figure out what happened to her. Yeah. And the only reason that Sam is um involved is because he would be number one on the suspect list because he was the last one with her. Yeah. Um, so like Lila doesn't even really need Sam. They end up teaming up together, but like, sure. I don't know. They're, they're also a good team. Like I said, yeah, they um, worked out pretty well together, but the main, I will say that, and this is more of the time and not the movie, but I will say the main issue I have with the treatment of women are these fucking bras, man. These, oh my God. These people who the men that like constructed the bra thought that like, we all just like want these pointy ass titties, like, <laughs> fucking triangles who invented the bra i want to know i'm gonna look it up because what if i'm what if who invented who invented blow-up dolls who's looking that up you apparently oh god okay now i've got the scoop all right so it's called a bullet bra and it's kind of like the precursor to the push-up Oh my god! Because what's his what's his fuck? Uh, Howard Hughes. Uh, he he was filming The Outlaw, and it was right after like you know the flat chested like flapper look, right? That was like really in. It was after that, and you know things like bounce around and fluctuate. It, it goes from extremes. So like flat chested. Now we're looking for like voluptuous. Mm-hmm. But with that, he was like unsatisfied with how Jane Russell's boobs looked in his movie. So he designed his own bra. Um, Sounds like something Howard Hughes would do. And so it and it and it was like this like big like pointy thing that doesn't look like boobs at all. Like I mean, yeah, it, it's just over accentuated. And and I'm not talking about like the fierce like Madonna bras. Those are like a fun choice. Hers <laughs> the, the cone bra. Like that's yeah. just like fun. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like. Men trying to, like, design things that they will never wear. You know what yes. I mean? Like, it's 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 not your lane. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's annoying. You're right. Um, but yeah, so it basically was so that he could, like, have a male gaze shot. He was like, I don't like these small titties, which... <laughs> Ladies, all titties are good. Small Correct. titties, big titties, round titties, pointy titties, like whatever. Going off on a Lizzo beat there. Oh my God, yeah. I think she would agree with me. I absolutely do. <laughs> yep. I think, I think, Correct. think every woman would actually agree with me on, on how bullshit that bullet bra is. Mainly because like, if it was a woman who was just like, yeah, I want my boobs to look like this. I'm going to design a bra to make my boobs look like this. I'd be like, hell yeah. Because they're yours. <laughs> But it's only the fact that, like, a director of a movie was like, her boobs don't, like, I don't like how they look. Like, <laughs> fuck you. 
my so God. he goes and like has someone make a bra that does not look like boobs at all he's like it's so crazy but yeah that that eventually evolved into like fredericks of hollywood doing like one of the first like push-up bras yeah but anyway that's that's what i had to say about that sorry i only have one more point to make about this movie that i found kind of interesting so the end scene yes um not the end end scene but with the psychiatrist Mm -hmm. that if this movie was made today like, no precursor. It was made today. I'm not talking about the Vince Vaughn fucking remake. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about if this movie was wiped clean from our history, but was made today. Yes. The psychiatrist scene would not exist. No. Because, because the reason it's even in the, in the first one is because this movie was so out there that Hitchcock was like, like I can read a room. I know my audience. They're going to need an explanation for this. Where today, people want to walk out of a theater questioning and yes. figuring out their own outcome and solving the mystery that, you know, could have any outcome. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like cliffhangers are... um and unsolved mysteries are just kind of part of our culture now. We like that. That's why we like the true the true crime like podcast and the true crime documentaries. That's yeah. we we want to speculate. I think I even said this last week. We as as humans want to speculate. Yeah, that's so, that's the that's the American culture now. Yeah, is, yeah, is uncertainty. Yeah, and and maybe it's because it makes us feel smarter. I don't know. Yeah, and having like and just having talking points. Mm-hmm. You know, have you seen have you seen this movie? What do you think happened to Moo? Fucking Inception. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And also, it's a marketing tool. Yeah, like hundred percent. But it's also a sign of the times that this movie was so out there that people couldn't really even handle that. Right. So they had to come in and be like, this is what's wrong. Yeah, you it's know, a very exposition-y this. moment. Yeah, and and so that's why that scene was even put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it's it, there's just so many good pieces of this film. It, it, as a whole, it's not my favorite. No. And I, I know I'm going to get fucking raked over the coals for that, but fuck you. Yeah, it's my fucking podcast. <laughs> so I um, there's there's a lot of like this is a two act structure, right? Yeah, it's it's shot like a play. Yeah, it's not like I mean, there's the driving scenes and things like that, but it's primarily yeah, there's something just, very Noel Coward about it. Except Noel yeah. Coward kind of does more of like farce. Right, but I this know this could what you easily mean. be a farce, and it'd be hilarious. It would be I would very funny. Oh my god, I would totally watch like a farcical version of this oh 100% that would be hilarious let's get on it oh my god so a lot of people have speculated that um block who wrote psycho the book yes that norman bates was based off of ed gain okay which texas chainsaw massacre and and uh the silence of the lambs has also been have uh, people have also said that they've been inspired by ed gains okay i didn't i didn't know that uh, well, it kind of makes sense after you you read about the crimes. But Block says that he started writing the book before anything about the Wisconsin murders um, and Ed Gaines even came out. Right. So, or Ed Gain. Um, so, Ed Gain murdered a bunch of people and pled insanity and was deemed, like, legally just, like, insane and went to a mental facility instead of jail, uh, basically. 
Uh, so what Ed Gain did was he exhumed corpses from his local graveyard. <laughs> I'm talking like he, he, he grabbed eggs from his local grocery store. But no, <laughs> he exhumed corpses from his local mm. graveyard. And he like he like made like trophies and keepsakes right. of like their bones and skin, which I could see for like Silence of the Lambs. Sure. Like that's could be inspiration for that. I don't so know. you're saying the bones were his money? The bones were his money. Yes. And he confessed to killing two women, Mary Hogan and Bernice Warden. And this was all in 1954 and then 1957. And again, he pled insanity and was granted, like, like was diagnosed okay. um, and went to a mental health facility and pretty much died there. Oof. Like that's, after, that's like rough. of, you know, a combination of old age. He didn't like immediately die. I'm, I'm saying he like, you know, he, he spent his time there. Yikes. So yeah, that was the last like potentially interesting point I had. <laughs> I like that though. Oh, man, I, there's just so much on this film and I could talk about it forever. There's so many cool parts of it. I really just do love. I, I am most stunned by Anthony Perkins. I think he was just incredible. It's funny that actually um, him and Janet Lee were allowed to improvise, which is not a thing that Hitchcock liked. Uh, but he allowed them to as long as it didn't involve moving the camera. That's cool. So like the reason Norman's just sitting there eating candy corn was that was Anthony Perkins decision. Hmm. I, I like that these two actors had freedom. Yeah. Because they really make the first half of the film. Definitely. And I think for Hitchcock, I think it's, you know, one of those things that he was sort of switching up his style a little bit because mm-hmm. he is such a, he's known as a perfectionist. Yeah. But to let those actors have that freedom because they were such fantastic actors is cool. I like that's a, yeah. that's a neat thing to do. Like I, I also don't like my actors improvising on set. I really, right. really hate it. Because usually I've written the thing I'm I was directing. Say you're, you're a writer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I get it. Well, and I'm a director too, but I don't. The, I have taken notes from actors about improvisations. And, you know, sometimes the, the words on the page don't translate to screen, and that's fine. I understand that. I don't have that big of an ego. Right. A little bit, but not that big. And so there's times with, like, okay, it sounds good on the page, but it doesn't sound good in the mouth. Yeah. That the, happens. That's the only time I, per, like, as an actor that I've. Uh, somewhat improvised is if it doesn't sound conversational enough. Yes. Because things things on paper, like you were saying, like, yeah, they they come across fine, but when they're put in someone's mouth, it can sound stiff. Yeah. So that's it. Like, I've added, you know, certain things and asked if that's put okay. Put a little flair on D- that. Yeah, yeah, just, like, made it more conversational and less, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like a line from the room. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. like, I think I the only, that's the only improvised improvisations that I allow is like, yeah, I want my, I don't write when I'm writing scripts. I don't write to have it all be like perfect. When I do fiction, it is all has to be kind of like in a very specific way. And the word choices are very intentional. Yeah. When I write scripts, I write them for actors. Mm -hmm. Like I want the actors to play with the lines because I want it to sound like them. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like with the words on the page are not going to be the words that come out of your mouth Mm -hmm. and they're never intended to be. They're supposed to be a framework. Yeah. It's not, I, like, I don't do mumblecore, really, yeah, but, yeah. like, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. you've, worked, you've worked in some of my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that was just it, it, letting us, particularly, I can't say enough about Anthony Perkins in this. Like, it, this movie would have sucked if it weren't for him. Yeah, he did. He really, 
did, again, like I said, such a wonderful job of being so undercover sinister. Yeah, because you, you want to trust him, but you don't. Yeah. Because he has this sort of boyish face. He's handsome, but he's not like... He's not Gregory Peck. He's not Charlton yeah. Heston. He's not Marlon Brando. He's he's just Tony Perkins. Yeah. And he's got this very like shrugged, sort of hunchy look to him. He's very tall, but he feels very small. Yeah. And I, I think that that is all acting and like the physical work, just the um, all of the unspoken lines in this. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this last night while watching it, like how hard it is for an actor to do really good, just like body work like that, you know? Yeah, totally. So I, I love that. Yeah, he did a really great job. Um, and on that note... Yeah, I think I think that's all I've got for today. That's what I've got. Um, so y'all know where to find us. We are at Horror Babes Podcast on Instagram, at Horror Babes Pod on Twitter, and HorrorBabesPod.com. Thank you, Seth Haken, for our theme music that I we love it adore so much. So yeah, we will catch you next time for our next episode in this series. Called Scream Queens. Yeah, and keep an eye out on all of our social media for a bunch of fun projects that we're doing. Yeah, we're going to release some some cool things um, all this month. So, yeah, get out there and get spooky. We'll see you next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe.